Well, I'd like to welcome each of the ones that are visiting here this morning. Good to see some familiar faces, and especially there's a couple in the congregation here this morning that is extra special, I guess, that's here, my Aunt Vera and Uncle Ken. They, uh, if you'll allow me, I'm going to go down memories lane just a little bit. They uh, opened their home up to our family. Every summer we would go to their place for a whole week, and we would uh, go to their farm, uh, and we would just, just have a real good time. And as I was thinking about that, the, the good times that we had, you know, my memories went to going out to the barn, and we'd uh, be waiting as the cows were waiting to come into the barn. And I'd see Uncle Ken, you know, putting the feed out, and it was a stanchion-type barn, and he, he'd be putting the feed out there. And I would call him a farmer's farmer, um, thinking back. And, and it shaped my mind on what a farm is and the way a farm should operate and what, what all. And, and as I read later on in life, you know, my mind would often go back to what I observed on that farm there. But I'd see um, these cows waiting to go into the stanchions. He'd open the, slide the gate open, and, and these cows would come walking in, and they'd just know right where to go, and they'd you know, turn the corner and go down the other aisle and go into the stanchion. And every once in a while, you'd get one that would get in the wrong spot, and he'd have to get them out and put them into the other spot. And, and you'd have to make sure that you stayed out of the way as the cows walked by, because they were doing their business. And on the nice uh, lime floor that, that he, after every time he was done milking, he'd go down to, or not every time, but every so often lime that floor and he'd scrape that uh, with a scoop shovel and throw it into the aisle. And uh, then we'd go and we'd hook the chains onto their collars that, so they'd be fastened into stanchions. And anyhow, just a lot of good memories of, you know, watching you know, it was before the days of pipelines, I still remember back then when uh, I was still pretty young and they were milking right into the, the cans. Uh, times on their place, you know, riding in the, in the wagon as the kick baler would be kicking the bales and we'd be dodging the bales and, um, and then coming in for lunch and Aunt Vera would have a, this big spread of, it seemed like anyhow, of, of uh, lunch and, and the men, it seemed like my dad and Uncle Ken and his dad, if he was eating there, they, they would go in, you know, covered with sweat and, and hay and, you know, just grime and they'd go to the sink and they'd take the bar of soap and they'd wash their arms and their face and splash water on their face and, and then they'd, uh, you know, they, by the time us boys got there, the towel was good and wet, you know, they'd dry their face with the towel, and it was all wet, but us boys were last, and, and we'd dry ourselves, you know, we'd wash ourselves too, like the men did, and, uh, you know, at, su at supper time, or after the work was all done, I remember having picnics out underneath the shade tree at their place, and watermelons, homemade ice cream, just a lot of good memories, I'm going to have to stop there, but, um, but there's also, um, I think it ties in a little bit, as I was thinking about what Jamin was sharing about the holiness of God, um, you know, that, that's, it's something that we've read, it's, it's, it's not necessarily a memory, but it's something that we've got to look forward to as we experience the holiness of God, and I'm going to speak about heaven this morning also, and heaven is something that we're looking forward to, it's, 
it's not a memory, but it's something that's etched on, that, that, that we need to have etched on, on our minds like that memory I had of being at Aunt Vera's and Uncle Ken's place every summer for a week. That was etched on my mind, and I'd like for us to have the holiness of God, the, um, to have heaven etched on our mind that we're looking forward to it. You know, it's something that's just, um, you know, something that we look forward to with excitement. So let's say that, um, let's say that you were preparing to take a trip with a certain destination in mind. Uh, you're, you're planning to go to a, another place. How would you describe this place to me if I had never been there before? You know, if, if I had never been there before, you would describe this place to me with certain words. For example, I'd like to know who all here has been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a number of us here. I, I've been there myself, but there's a number of us here in the crowd that, that have not been to the Grand Canyon. So I'd like two volunteers, and I was going to pick two people out when your hands were up, but I didn't. So I'd like two volunteers to raise your hand to describe to us what you felt when you saw the Great Canyon and the feeling you had and what you saw, just not real long, but just kind of give a feeling of what you felt when you saw the Great, when you saw the Grand Canyon. Raise your hand. I need two volunteers, Tony and someone else, a visitor maybe, uh, someone that doesn't regularly attend here. Would you care to, so we get a different perspective? No one's going to be brave enough. I, did I see Edna? Did you raise your hand? Okay, I'm sorry. I need another volunteer yet. Zach, I think you've been there, haven't you? I'll pick on you. Okay, Tony, go ahead. What, what did, tell us about the, what, what did you see at the Grand Canyon, and uh, what did you feel? I walked up to the edge of the Grand Canyon for the first time. I think the first thought from from me was just was trying to perceive how far across it was and not being able to do that because it was so large and so far, but the air was quite clear because the humidity is low and I was just like I just had no idea how far across that is. Like it's just so far. It just can't I couldn't quite perceive it. And it almost seemed uh, surreal a little bit. Um, also got to see Copper Canyon, which is kind of an extension of that down in Mexico, which is even more impressive in my opinion. Uh, it's a little bit deeper and uh, it was huge. And so it just couldn't quite grasp it, I guess, um, but could grasp it more than a photo for sure. Um, but just feeling, feeling maybe a little bit small was probably um, the thing that I thought of the most is just feeling quite small when I saw it. Very good. Um... And, and the colors there, if you think of the, the different hues of colors, it was is just unreal when, when you experience that there. So, you know, heaven is a place that none of us have been to, though, you know, we anticipate 
the trip to heaven. We're, we're all looking forward to going to this place called heaven. And we can read about you know, this description in the Bible. You know, we desire and we long to go to heaven. And I dare say that it's probably on each of our bucket lists to go to heaven. At least I hope it is. You know, it's, I know it's probably it's on your bucket list to go to the Grand Canyon yet. Okay, well, I'm using that term. Um, you're right. Uh, but heaven's description can be found all throughout the Bible. It tells, the Bible tells us somewhat of what heaven will be like, but what we'll see and what we'll feel. But until we personally experience what heaven is like going to the Grand Canyon, until you've personally experienced the Grand Canyon, it's just, you know, we don't know what heaven's going to be like until we personally experience that. We can read about it, and we, and we will read about it this morning. But um, we have to, when we personally experience that, it's, it's just, I think it's going to be really good. So first, let's establish that heaven is real. If you believe the Bible, which I trust that all of us do here, God begins to talk about the new heaven and the new Jerusalem in Isaiah 65, verse 17, and also in chapter 66, verse 22. So if you want to turn there to Isaiah 65, I'm going to read that. Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former shall be remembered, not come into mind. And then I'm going to read chapter 66, verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. So this, uh, this new heaven appears to be different than the heaven that's above us now where God sits on the throne. It, it talks about that in Isaiah also, about God sitting on the throne and the earth as his footstool. This new heaven, it's going to be different than what God created in Genesis 1, 1 where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You know, he created the heavens, but this is talking about a heaven. It's a, it's a new city. This new heaven and new Jerusalem, I, I believe, it's, I, th I think it's the same one that's referenced in Revelations chapter 21 and chapter 22, the final resting place where we're going we're to serve God. We're going to be able to meet this, or we're going to be in, in the presence of this holy God. Without going into the differences that we might have on eschatology, I'm um, not going to get into that a whole lot t this morning. We read also in um, 2 Peter 3.13 that a new heaven and a new earth will be created as promised, and I believe it's referring back to Isaiah. This earth is going to be destroyed that we live on, along with the heavens above us at some time. But So let's turn there and read that. It's going to be in 2 Peter 3, verses 10 to 13. Second Peter 3, verse 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, 
in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So then John continues the narrative starting in Revelations chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and I'd like to read that also. Revelations 21, 21 verses 1 and 2. So John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I'm going to stop with verse 2 right now, but we'll, I'll, I'll read more later on. But it would, it would kind of appear as if this new heaven is lowered into place, replacing the old heaven. It's kind of what it appears like to me. But I want to look, I uh, want to read what Jesus had to say. If you turn back to John 14, verses 1 to 3, it says, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us, and there's going to be many mansions there in heaven. <clears throat> so... Heaven is real. It's not some euphorbic mental condition that we enter into when we die. Uh, we're going to be going to heaven. It's a place. It's, a re it's as real as the Grand Canyon is real. In fact, heaven's description is found in Revelations 21, verses 10 to 19. And I want to read that, pick up a little bit, and we'll... Catch some of the verses in between verses 2 and 10 there in a little bit, but uh, turn back to Revelations 21 again, and we'll read verses 10 to 19. This is John here, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me that great city the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God and her light was likened to a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and all the gates, twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and on the wall of the city had twelve, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, 
and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length of it is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, a hundred and forty-four cubics, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, likened to clear glass. And the foundations of the walls of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. I'm going to stop there. <clears throat> so I think all of us probably interpret words in slightly different ways. And so if I picture heaven differently than you do, just kind of please bear with me, I guess, because your picture is probably going to be a little bit different than mine. This heavenly city that we're going to go to, it's going to be huge. It's going to be filled with many mansions, as we read back in John. And I'd like to kind of... Um, for you right now to picture something that we see here on earth, a fire ant mound. Most of you know what a fire ant mound is. They get maybe, off from the table there, some of the bigger ones maybe get up like that big or so. And um, in that fire ant mound, you're going to find something like this right here. It'll, it, if, if you kick a fire ant mound, you're going to find um, where the fire ants have made different um, tunnels. And, and these holes, they just, it's kind of like uh, Swiss cheese almost, I guess you could say. But they just go every, every which way in a fire ant mound. And um, it's, it's just honeycombed with passageways. And the ants are scurrying. Um, this, this was an old mound right here, but... If you kick a new one over, the ants are just scurrying every which way, going through there, carrying their eggs and stuff. And I kind of picture heaven like this in some way. The inside, inside of heaven is, is kind of the way I, would, I picture heaven. I'm going to lay this down here gently so I don't get dirt all over the place. You, you can kind of go back and look at that again, and we'll, we'll, I'll refer back to that. But only, I picture heaven on a much larger scale. In verse 16, it says, kind of, kind of just leave that for a little bit. And, and uh, in verse 16, it says that the length of the city is as large as the breadth. So I've got a piece of a square right here. Um, the length, it's flat like this. The length of the city as, is as large as the breadth or we would say the width. So the length and, if the length and the breadth are the same, that makes a square city. But heaven isn't flat like this. Um, in verse 16, it finishes by saying that not only are the length and the breadth equal, but the height is equal. So it's going to look up more, a little bit more like this, this cube square right here. Heaven is going to it's going to be cubed like this. All sides are equal. You know, all these sides are equal right here. Everything, everything's the same on it. 
And only it's going to be much larger than this square right here, this cube. In scriptures, we read that John measured one side, and it was 1,200 furlongs, which is equivalent of 1,400 miles. So guess what? Um, it's exactly 1,408 miles from Memphis, Tennessee, to the Grand Canyon in Arizona. So from our state of Tennessee, we could say if this is Memphis, Tennessee, to this corner over here is the Grand Canyon in Arizona. But it would also be the same way this way and this way. Um, it's going to be that tall as well as you know, the depth will be that much. So it kind of gives you a perspective as how wide and how tall and how deep heaven is going to be. But then I, here's where the, the fire ant nest comes in. I picture, and, and think of all the houses that are between here and the Grand Canyon and all the different roads that are between here and the Grand Canyon. But we're, gonna, we're talking about that distance being that high and that wide yet. And I picture heaven being sort of like this uh, fire ant nest with a honeycomb of travelways just crisscrossing all through heaven. Um, maybe it won't be that way, but with big mansions, who knows how tall, scattered throughout there. But then those tunnels, if they're tunnels, or it, um, who knows, there'll be tunnels. It says the roads are going to be of pure gold. The gold's going to be transparent so that the light of God's glory, we were talking about God's holiness, the light of God's glory is going to be glowing throughout the, the streets of heaven. This, this cube of heaven, I think, is just going to be glittering. It's going to be dazzling. It's going to be beautiful. And that's just the city. Um, I picture heaven as being more than just this square city, um, wherever it's going to be, as it comes down, that God's preparing for us. What's it going to be like outside those open gates? It says that the gates are open, so well, I'll come back to that. But let's continue on with verse 21 to 27 in chapter, tw in chapter 21. I'll begin reading at verse 21, read to the end of the chapter. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the streets of the city were pure gold, as if it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abominations or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. That last phrase is very important. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, let's back up a little. Verse 14 says that there will be 12 foundations with the names of 12 apostles in them. 
I suppose they'll be engraved. I'm not sure. Then in verse 19 and 20, it says that the foundation is made up of different gems. And you can read those different gems. There's 12 different gems that are mentioned. Verse 12 to 17 talks of a wall that I suppose is built on the foundations. Though, you know, I really can't quite picture a four-square cubed city with a wall going around here. Um, I'm, I had a little hard time picturing a wall, but it seems like a wall would sit on a foundation in my physical mind, I guess. So are the walls jutting out at an angle you know, from these? Um, it says there's 12 walls. There's 12 foundations. So there, there actually is 12, you know, there's 12 sides right here if you count the vertical sides right here. Are the walls jutting out at angles like this and up like this and down like this? I'm not sure how that's going to be, but, um, but it does say that the, uh, the gates are going to be pointing east, west, north, and south. So we could have this, you know, the gates could be pointing out east, west, north, and south. Um, but I think the wall is a symbol of God's all-encompassing protection. And I hope that we all will get to see this city. And if our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, we will get to see it. So as John measured the wall in verse 17, it was 144 cubics or 216 feet thick, which would roughly be twice the, the length of our church building right here. But then we also read that it's a tall wall going around the city. It's, it says that it's great and high. So as verse 12, I think, says that. Um, so I don't know if it's more of an encasement. I'm not sure what it's going to be like exactly. At any rate, the wall is made of pure jasper. Some of you know what a quartz rocks is, and I don't have one with me here this morning. But jasper is similar to quartz, but it has the transparency of crystal with a sky blue color and a green rosy pink hue mixed in it. So I don't know, maybe think of the Grand Canyon colors a little bit there. Um, but it's going to be pretty. It's going to, it's, it's, it's a, the transparency of crystal. So th this wall is going to be, the glory of God is going to be able to shine out of that. We do know that there's 12 gates in the wall, three on each side. And they're, like I said, they're going to be facing the east, the west, the north, and the south. And there's going to be an angel at each gate. Verse 25 says that these gates are not shut. Like I said, so I, su I suppose we're going to be able to go in and out. And the angel, I don't know, uh, maybe they'll be guarding that, I'm not sure. And we'll be able to enjoy what's outside the city in the new heavens and the new earth. You know, what all is going to be out there, we don't know exactly. Verse 21 says that each gate will be of one pearl, ones like we've never seen before, I'm sure, because on the earth here, the largest pearl that's ever been discovered is, weighs 75 pounds, and its estimated value is $100 million. So this gate is made of one pearl, and if we're going through it, it's going to be a lot bigger than a 75-pound pearl. So at this time, I'd like to switch gears just a little bit, but I'm going to read a short writing by Joseph T. Larson. It's based off of scripture, and it's entitled, What is Heaven? 
What is heaven? Love without passion, for we shall be like him. Service without weariness, for his servants shall serve him. Holiness without alloy, for his name shall be on our foreheads. Blessing without curse, for there shall be no more curse. Life without death, for there shall be no more death. Joy without sorrow, for all tears shall be wiped away. Light without darkness, for there shall be no night there. Glory without suffering, for there shall be no more pain. Singing without sadness, for there shall be no more p- singing without sadness, for there shall be no more crying. Rule without end, for we shall reign with him forever. Living without sin, for we shall be faultless. Company without absence, for we shall forever be with the Lord. So I looked up each of these lines here, and the majority of these uh, quotes from the Bible, they come from Revelations 22. So turn there, or just flip the page over if you're at Revelations 21 there, and I'd like to read the first five verses of Revelations chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which barely, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, no need of a candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So, this wasn't in the reading, but notice that the river with the water of life and the tree of life is growing on either side of the river that comes from the throne of God. And now we're going to be able to drink freely from this river of life and the tree of life because the curse of sin is no more and we're going to be living forever in eternity with God. In heaven, we'll be joyfully serving Jesus and we're going to be marked with Jesus' name on our forehead, which is all the more reason why we don't want to take the mark of the beast because Jesus is going to put his name on our forehead. It's going to be daylight all the time without the sun or the moon because the glory of God's going to be there. Revelations 21, 23 talks about that also. Imagine how this city is going to glow and it's going to a shimmer with all the, like I said, with all the transparency, with all the jewels and the precious metals. Revelations 21.4 is a familiar verse. I'd like to read that yet. Um, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There should be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So there is no tears, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. You know, that's all things that 
I really don't want to deal with. Um, I'm, I'll be glad to be done with that. And there's, there's a lot more nuances, a lot more nuances of um, how heaven will appear. You know, who we're going to know, what will happen in heaven. And you'll pick up on them as you read the Bible, as heaven is scattered all throughout Scripture. You'll find heaven, things that refer to heaven scattered all throughout Scripture. And I do want to touch on one thing briefly yet, one aspect, and that's about our crowns. We, the last song we sang talked about casting our crowns before God's feet. In 2 Timothy 4.8, it mentions a crown of righteousness. In James 1.12, it talks about a crown of life. And in 1 Peter 5.4, it talks about a crown of glory. And so whether these crowns are actual crowns that you can wear and hold, or if they're more symbolic of the honor that's given to God's saints. We do know that in Revelations 4.10, when the 24 elders, when they worship God, they, it says they cast their crowns at God's feet. And somehow, I don't think that when we see God in his glory, that we'll want to wear any vestige of honor. I don't think we're going to want to wear our crowns because when we come into God's presence and see his holiness and his glory, I think we're just going to, you know, we're going to want to bow down and cast our crowns at his feet out of, out of just our, you know, out of humbleness, out of our smallness that we're going to feel in comparison to him. So I'd like to close with the, uh, the benediction in Jude 24 and 25 where it says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. So that's talking about Jesus. Jesus will be able to keep us from falling so that we can go to heaven. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceedingly joy. That's Jesus again. He's gonna, he, he wants to be able to present us faultless before God. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. So Jesus' reign is going to be forever. Why would we let something stand between us and eternity? There's two songs I'd like to sing yet about heaven. Oftentimes we don't sing about heaven a lot, enough, I don't think. And um, so if you want to get your songbooks out, turn to number 983.